Well, this is a special Sunday. Uh, we have another, another commissioning. This is pretty exciting. Uh, this time it's the Reinhardt family to go to, we're sending them off to Kenya. You remember uh, not too long ago we commissioned Haley Ott um, and going down to Bolivia and then we commissioned a team to go and begin the new church at Orchard Hills and, and now with the Reinhardts. Now back when we were commissioning Haley, we stepped out of our series in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and looked at a, at a different passage. But this time the scripture passage that's next in our journey through, through the epistles of John fits perfectly with this commissioning service. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last Sunday and ask the Lord to speak to us on this special Sunday. But before you turn to 3rd John, uh, we're actually going to make our way to 3rd John via the Gospel of Mark. And you'll see why in a moment. So turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. It's a, uh, an event in the life of Christ that if, you, if you've read the Gospels, you're, you're familiar with. And there's something in there that links it with 3 John. And I, I want you to see that this morning. So Mark 14, verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, it's speaking about Jesus, of course, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Imagine if you were that woman uh, that, that day. Imagine what it was like to do this for the Lord. You've obviously been exposed to him and, and, and you've, actually, you've actually, in some personal way, you've responded in faith to him and you have this overwhelming love for him and wonder and you're actually really worshiping him. Your inner captivation with Jesus is so profound that that which you once valued so highly and kept so carefully you now willingly and with great joy, you, you, you give it all to Jesus and you, you put it on him. The cost, we're told, uh, of, that, of that which she broke and, and anointed Jesus with was equal to a year's wages. So this was her, this was her savings account that she broke and, and gave to him. She had some sense of his death, Jesus said, she's done this, uh, anointing me for burial. Somehow, maybe the Spirit had shown her something that others had missed, that, that Jesus was going to go to the cross. 
But we're not quite sure about all that she understood, but we know that she had this profound adoration of Jesus. So imagine you being able to be there with him and to take this and anoint him with him. But then imagine what it would have been like to hear the criticism. It says that they, uh, they said to themselves in verse 4, indignantly. There was this uh, indignance that they had within them. And then it said they scolded her. So now she's hearing this and seeing the scowls on their faces and, and getting this immediate feedback. And maybe, maybe she began to doubt. Doubt what she had done. We're not, we're not sure. But then imagine if you had done this to Jesus and then you're being immediately criticized. Jesus' words and what they would have meant to you. Stop that, he says. Why, why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done a beautiful thing. You've been vindicated. You've been vindicated that what you did was right. But more than that, here is the one for whom I am willing to give up everything. And he's saying that I'm doing a beautiful thing to him. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? To hear that from his lips? Well, there's another place in the New Testament where this word beautiful, you see that the word is there in verse 6. She has done a beautiful thing to me. There's another place in the New Testament where this word beautiful is used. But this, in that place, it's not describing something that someone else did that we cannot imitate. I can't imitate this. Jesus is not physically here yet again. Uh, I, I can't go over and break over his head some, uh, some, this costly offering. I can't do that. But there's another place in the New Testament where something's done that's called beautiful and I can't imitate it. And would you believe that it's in 3 John? So turn to 3 John. Now we're going to spend next week looking at the whole book of 3 John, which is very, very short. It's another one of those little, little villages that if you blink, you drive right by it and don't notice it. But we're going to look at verses 5 to 8. <clears throat> verses 5 to 8. Paul's writing, again, Christians in the area of Ephesus. He's written to a guy named Gaius, who must have been somewhat prominent in the church. And as I mentioned last week, they, as, as missionaries were sent through, people would support them in one way or another. But let me just read verses 5 to 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So he's commending Gaius, because Gaius has taken in and then sent off people who God had set apart to be sent for the gospel's sake. Now, some of you are thinking, I didn't see the word beautiful in there. But it's in there in the Greek. And it's in, hold on, let me find it, verse 6. 
who testified to your love before the church, you will do beautifully to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That word well, you will do well, that's the same word that Jesus used to describe what the woman did for her. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Matter of fact, some, some English versions actually have the word beautiful there. You, maybe the Bible you're using has it there. It says you will do beautifully or you will do a beautiful thing to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. And in this passage, I want to show you uh, three aspects of this beautiful thing. To send people who have been sent by God, to send them on their way. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful because, first of all, because of their motives. The motives of the people who are going. Look at verse 7. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. This is their motive as they're traveling as they're exposing themselves to dangers along the way and uncertainty, as they're, as they're leaving what they're comfortable with and moving into places and, and, and circumstances that make them uncomfortable. They're doing it all for the sake of the name. They're not doing it for themselves. Amen? This isn't about themselves. It's about the name. The name of Jesus Christ. When my wife and I were missionaries in Tanzania, after we'd been there for a little while, we had come out of the bush where we were living and came into to the town, which is about a four-hour drive or so. And we, we got there. We would go every month and a half or so to get supplies. And while we were there, we met up with some missionaries who were in the, in the town. And they introduced us to some new missionaries that had come with, with their group. And... Um, I was taught, we actually had like, they had a little dinner or something and we all got together and I was chatting with the, the husband. And here he was saying, yeah, he says, I got out of seminary and I really want to be a pastor. Um, but it's a little hard to be a pastor coming out of seminary. So I thought, you know, we do this for a while and, and it'll make my resume look better and then I'll, well, this is what went through my mind. You know, I'm thinking about all that we had suffered, all that we had gone through, all the satanic attacks, all the other stuff, how difficult it was just to stay there. And I'm thinking, you ain't here for very long. I, I didn't say it because of my personality. I didn't say that loud. But I thought, you ain't, you ain't long for this place. And I was right. I don't know what he did with his resume, but he was not there long. They were gone. Now, some of you are thinking, but you did come back to be a pastor, so I, <laughs> about me. But that's what, we were, we were there for, for life. It was God that changed our, our path. And we were there for 11 years, so I think that's a different situation. But, but um, those guys had gone to be missionaries for some other reason. But what, what's being said here in, in Third John is they went for the sake of the name. That's why they're doing what they're doing. It's for the sake of the name. I don't know if you remember, but back, uh, Peter and, and John were, were imprisoned and, and beaten. And I, I want to read to you a little of the story from Acts chapter 5. It said, and then when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Amen? They, 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 they knew what I'm doing, what I'm saying, I'm doing it for the, for the sake of the name, the name of the Lord Jesus. And then if I suffer because of doing something, wow, what an honor to suffer for the name of Christ. The Apostle Paul spoke about the name too in Romans 1. And when he's introducing the entire epistle of Romans, at one point he says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And that's missions. That's, that's the sending out of people that God has set apart. We send them out for the sake of his name among the nations. It's the sake of the name of the one who has come from heaven and taken upon himself human flesh and blood and bone. He's become one of us. It's for the sake of the name of the one who lived without sin. For the sake of the name of the one who willingly went to the cross and on the cross substituted himself for us and took our punishment upon himself. And it's for the sake of the name of the one who who then, having died and been buried, rose again to life. Amen? And will come back again to bring everything to completion. John Stott said, Jealousy for the name of Christ is the most compelling of all missionary motives. There are other motives. The people are in need. That's a motive. Um, uh, there, there, there are different motives. Uh, uh, we're, we've been commanded to go to all the world, so I want to obey. That's, that's a motive. None of those motives are, are wrong. You can mix them all up. But the, but the most compelling of all motives is... The name, the name of Jesus Christ. We want him to be honored and glorified. We want, we, want to, we want the whole world to take everything that they treasure and break it open and pour it over the head of Christ. Their motives make it beautiful, a beautiful thing. And then their ministry. Look at verse 7 again where it says, um, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, this is interesting. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. By, when it says the Gentiles, he's, he's referring not to those Gentiles who have been uh, saved and become Christians. But he's speaking about, he's using the word Gentiles as the unbelievers. The unbelievers. And he's pointing to the fact that people are going out with the gospel and they're not charging the people that they're preaching the gospel to those people don't have to pay for this it's it's a free offer paul uh in in first corinthians when he's talking to the corinthians there's some trouble there but listen to what he says as he's sorting out some some issues there at the church he said if we have sown spiritual things among you is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do, we even, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. 
Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, but I have made no use of any of these rights. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make use of my right in the gospel." Paul is speaking about the same, same kind of spirit and, and mindset that John is speaking about here. It's a, it's a little different situation, but it, it still is still applicable where he's saying, he's saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to make sure that nobody who's hearing the gospel, he's going to people who aren't saved. He's saying, I'm, nobody out there can say that I'm doing this for the money. Nobody, they're not paying me for this. And we see it from, from, from uh, Paul's life. He was supported by others who sent, and at times he worked. He was apparently had been trained as a tent maker, and he, he would work making tents to support himself when he had to. And so he's saying it's on the Christians to support the emissaries that are sent out, the missionaries that are sent. We should send them out so that those who are receiving the gospel are receiving it freely. Amen? And that makes it beautiful. When people go with motives that have to do with the, not themselves but the name, and when the when they go in a way that they freely offer the gospel, it is a beautiful thing. And then thirdly, not only do we see their motives and their ministry, but our participation. We get to be fellow workers with the ones who are, are going. Look at verse... Um, well, I'll start again at verse 7. For they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So the, what, what, what John is saying is that, that this is the result. When, when we support people who God has set apart to go, we're actually working alongside of them. Amen? We're fellow workers with them. We may never go to the place where they go, but we're participating with them by our gifts, by our, by our support. We're taking, this is, this is the cool thing, we're taking our hard-earned money and we're breaking it over the head of Jesus as we send people out. Amen? You can't do what that woman did because he's not here physically. But you can do what the church in Ephesus did. You can do what Gaius did and his people. We can do that. Amen? And that's what we are doing. And there are other ways to participate also. We pray. We correspond with the, with the missionaries that we send. We we provide uh, supplies. Sometimes we visit them. Sometimes some of us can actually go and participate with them in other ways. You remember when we were sending out Haley, I said that I used the phrase, the words, everyone, some, a few. But I told you that was part one. So today's part two. So it goes back around. It's everyone, some, a few, 
and then everyone again. Everyone is a witness. Some are gifted as evangelists. A few are sent. But in the wisdom of God, it comes back around to everyone. But everyone can send. Amen? So those few who are going, there are just a few that God's sovereignty sets them apart and sends. But now it comes back to all of us. But now we can participate in what they're doing. We can support them and send them on their way. And the wisdom of God is seen in the synergy between everyone, some, and a few. Everyone, some, and a few. And as we participate in God's plan, in God's way, the world will be reached. But can I say, the world will be reached, but the real joy of it all is that the Lord Jesus will have all of our worship broken, open, and spilled on his head. And he will say, this is a beautiful thing that has been done to me. Amen? Let's be a part of that. Let's be a part of that. Let's pray. Our Father, we love and praise you and worship you. And we do, we do bring to you, O oh Lord, our lives, our offerings. It's not just the, the Reinhardt's who are offering themselves. It's us. We participate together. And, O oh Lord, to hear your words, you've done a beautiful thing to me. Oh, Lord, our hearts would thrill to hear that from your lips. Do it, Lord. Today, they go, we send. Do it, Lord. May it be a beautiful thing to you. And we ask it in your name. Amen.